Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, I'm excited for this episode. This was one of our best episodes of the year, if I do say so myself. I think so. And I think that is all down to Stacey Sims, Dr. Stacey Sims being just one of the absolute best people in the universe to interview. I think that was her third or fourth time on our podcast. So huge thanks to Stacey for being like an excellent podcast guest over the years. And I think the other thing working in her favor uh, in our favor is that this topic of of strength training, menopause, uh, you know, eating more protein, all the things covered in her new book. Well, new <laughs> new is pushing it. New when we did the interview, yeah, and it's it's level up. Next level. Next level. Next level. Yeah, uh, a lot of people know Stacey Sims from Roar, the first book she did, all about uh, female athletes, basically, or women's health in in general, but with an eye towards you know, getting stronger, getting fitter, uh, just generally being healthier and really talks a lot around, you know, the, the cycle, the menstrual cycle, but then also, uh, in that book, she had touched on sort of perimenopause, menopause, uh, life after menopause, all that stuff. And then clearly there was such a demand for it that she ended up doing next level, which is all sort of focused on menopause and, uh, staying fit and healthy and even getting fitter and healthier and after I think menopause. both these books are, are great books to look into if you're coming into this uh time of your life but also any coaches uh, i think anyone who's you know living with people who are going through this i think it, it's going to just really enhance your knowledge of it and, and if not enhance your life i think by implementing some of these practices absolutely and we also last year had celine yeager on the podcast talking about this celine is Stacey's co-author, co-author. right or both yeah yep. yeah and, and one of the hardest people i know she is so a very talented bike racer i have enjoyed racing alongside her in a few races uh but yeah very, very tough and smart lady. The nicest compliments I have ever gotten have been around like reminding people of her. And it makes me so happy. Um, oh, any- that you remind her. I was yeah, like, you, yeah. mean, you mean people were like telling you that? No. Like, Thank you for reminding us of it, yeah. Celine. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, anyway, all that said, uh, Celine, when she was on, said to me, it, you know, I'm 36 now. I was 35 at the time. And, you know, we talked about the fact that even for me, like I'm, I should be thinking about this stuff because I mean, perimenopause like comes in your forties pretty often. Uh, and the, you know, we're learning more and more and seeing more and more, hearing more and more about the fact that, you know, getting, gaining muscle gets so much harder as we get older, but muscle is such an important factor when it comes to whether it's fitness or longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now is really the time that I should be thinking about how much muscle can I possibly, can I put on? Well, and as your local kinesiologist, the other barrier to strength training is that there is a skill to mm-hmm. it. So, you know, it's much nicer to teach someone when they're nine and 10 years old, how to strength train and then, you know, build that through your twenties, irregardless of the, the, the muscle, that's obviously something that we would like to build. And, you know, but the, it's also that technique that, you know, we can't just say, here's a deadlift bar, you know, when, once you're 60, you know, this is going to get trickier, right? For sure. Yeah. So now is now is the time. So whether you're listening to this and you're 25 or 65, there are so many great takeaways. So uh, without further ado, let's get into this. Enjoy this repost, reblog with the amazing Stacey Sims. Stacey Sims, Dr. Stacey Sims, back on the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I think you are now our 
both like one of our first guests, and I think we've had you on more times than anyone else. So welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Exciting. Well, you always have so much good stuff going on. And I feel like it's every time we have you on, there's something completely different. So, I mean, first of all, congrats on the new book and the app and everything else that you have <laughs> going on. So, um, Thanks. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's start with just like, what the heck are you up to these days? Like how are you, when someone says like, what have you been doing lately? How do you, uh, how do you explain all of the things? I looked at, look at most people with like a blank face going, I don't really know. Let's see what's going on. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. we launched next level back in May. So that mm-hmm. was good. Uh, so we've been doing more online course content, so that's cool. Um, I've had three PhD students successfully defend, and I have another one defending tomorrow. Ooh. Um, been working industry stuff, so been doing more collaborations and getting industry and research together to do proper female athlete research. Gosh, I could keep going on and on, but that's not what this podcast is about. Just too yeah. many things. Too yeah. many things. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even want to ask how like training or anything is going because I can imagine mm. it's, it's just happening when it can. Yeah. <laughs> Fit it in here and there. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what, uh, what got you excited to do next level and be talking about menopause? I mean, it seems like you've, you've kind of, you really niched into that for a while and it seems like you've kind of broadened back out to more kind of like all of the aspects of, of women's health, but what got you heavily invested in menopause? Um, well, it was kind of a combination of things. Like when we wrote roar, I was really like, we got to put this thing at least one chapter in about menopause because I was working at Stanford and I was in the women's health initiative data sets. And I had been working with one of the top complementary alternative medicine, um, professors and research scientists that came over from Columbia looking at things like black cohosh and other adaptogens. And so it was just kind of like, it's something that happens and no one talks about it. So we did put that one chapter in Roar. And all of a sudden, all these people were like, oh, I need more. I need more. What about me? What about me? Because most of the stuff that you read or hear about is people who are obese, sedentary, all of a sudden they're getting sick, they're losing bone mineral density, but there's a huge amount of master's athletes and I say masters because we're all wise and educated mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, what's going on? Cause now like, I'm not getting faster and putting weight on, but I don't fit these parameters that everyone's talking about. So, um, yeah. So Celine and I pitched to the publisher and they're like, yeah, okay, let's do this. So that was next level where I wanted to put as much information in one place that people could gravitate to and learn about it so that it's not a surprise because Mm -hmm. perimenopause happens to every woman, menopause happens to every woman, and no one talks about it and everyone's freaking out about it. And we wanted to make it normalized. I love it. I love it. And so I kind of wanted to go into sort of before, during, and after menopause, because I know pretty much every one of our, our women listeners is sort of in that that range. I'd say I'm in the the pre-perimenopause, but like creeping ever so quickly towards it. Yeah. Uh, so what the heck should I be thinking about now that I'm in that that phase of life? Yeah. So don't freak out about it for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Because we say there's two absolutes for women, puberty and menopause. 
Um, but what's happening is we're starting to see a change in the ratios of estrogen progesterone. Just like at puberty, where you see a change, all of a sudden you have this big uptick and the menstrual cycle happens and body composition changes happen. Well, now we're on the other end of the spectrum where things are starting to wind down because the body's like, hmm, our eggs are getting a little bit old. We don't really need to be viable to have a child that might not be as robust to stress as we would like. So we start seeing a little bit of what we call ovarian failure. So we have more anovulatory cycles. And if you don't ovulate, you don't produce progesterone. So women are starting to become more estrogen dominant. We start seeing um, changes in the way that training is affecting us. So things that we used to do, we can't quite get on top of. It's not creating the adaptive changes we want. Might see we're failing to hit the top end number of like intervals and power. And all this has to do with the way estrogen and progesterone affect every system of the body. So if we're in our late thirties, we're fine. Like we're not seeing any changes because we're like, sweet, yay. Okay, we're still in our premenopausal years. You start getting into your early to mid forties and you might start seeing some changes where you're like, I'm really tired and I can't hit those power numbers. What's going on? Mm -hmm. So this is where we wanna really start focusing on strength because we're starting to see a downturn in strength and power because of the way estrogen and progesterone affect our ability for strong muscle contractions, muscle um, protein synthesis, glucose metabolism. So all the things that go into that top end. Then we start to get into our late forties and this is pure perimenopause. Sometimes it starts earlier. Like we see um, there's a range of perimenopause from 35 to around 50 and then the average age of actual one point in time with no periods for 12 months menopause the average age is 51. so in that 15-ish years leading up to that one point in time you're not really going to see too many body comp changes you're start going to start seeing changes in bleed pattern changes in menstrual cycle length um, and then as you get closer to menopause and that late perimenopause this is where we see the biggest change of body composition. We start to see uh, all the symptomology of brain fog, night sweats, vaginal dryness, lack of libido, um, just pure lack of strength and power. So that is the telling sign that you are definitely in perimenopause, but there is no blood test to tell you. It okay. is. Yeah. That was, that was what yeah. I was going to ask is like, well, how, how, how do we know? Yeah. This is actually one of these really interesting things. A lot of the early, like the, the sort of pre symptoms we were talking, you were kind of mentioning and like the not hitting your power numbers, that kind of stuff could also be low energy availability. It could be more exactly. in that red S. So, I mean, it's such a minefield of like, is this just how my body is now? Or is this a result of you know, me not eating enough or me not eating at the right times. Yeah. And so this is the thing, because people who are going through perimenopause are like, well, how do I know if it's perimenopause or if I'm in red S or low energy availability? So we unpack it. So first we're like, okay, well, let's try to really nail down the eating and the timing of the eating. And then this is going to show us what's happening from a training perspective. Then we also have to start looking at sleep patterns, um, heart rate variability, and so we start seeing trends we want to look at trends and what you can do is you can start looking at trends in your estrogen progesterone ratios. So you can't go get a one point in time blood test, but you can ask and talk to your physician and be like, Hey, I'm really interested. And you'll have to push a bit because physicians aren't that willing to do blood tests, but you're like, I just want to see the trends in my ratios. So you go every 
21st day of your menstrual cycle, because that's when we do progesterone. And this is where you can really optimize and see what's happening with progesterone. Or if you're interested more in estrogen and estradiol, you go on day two of your cycle, which is a little bit easier to pinpoint because day two is the second day of bleeding. And then you can see actually what's going on with your estradiol. Mm -hmm. So if you start seeing trends and you can watch the trends, then that gives you more indication of, are you actually getting into ratio changes and perimenopause? Or are we really looking at, we can dial back the training, increase our food intake, try to do some more parasympathetic activation. But you know what? The same thing for red S, um, getting out of red S is the same thing we do for perimenopause, right? That's always that interesting. Like, is it really worth going down these rabbit holes? Right. Or just get into the lifestyle change. Right. Because we know that when you're really timing your food intake around your training, then this helps with body composition. If we're doing more parasympathetic activation, then this helps with sleep architecture, which gets disrupted with perimenopause. So it's like, when we look at everything that's going on, if we actually take care of the body in the stressful situations, it helps regardless of if it's low energy availability or if it's perimenopause. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. I was actually just recently looking at, it seems like there's like a lot of these like take home hormone test kits that like you're either peeing on something or I don't, I don't know if any of them involve blood or spit or what, what the deal is. Are any of those like worth doing or no. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> not at all? Like we hear a lot about, Oh, I did a Dutch test, which is the dried urine stuff mm-hmm. and my hormones are imbalanced. And it's like, but the validation of what's in your urine is metabolite. And that is not an indication of how your body is using or producing your sex hormones. Um, so Dutch tests are not valid when you're trying to figure out what's going on with regards to hormone stuff. Um, and you can't really change. It just gives you information like blood tests, all that kind of stuff will give you information, but it's not going to help you change anything. We have to look externally. We have to look at an external stress to cause a physiological adaptation that the hormones used to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I love that. I think we need to kind of underscore that because I think there's a lot of people that get stuck in that test, retest, test, 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 test cycle and never actually are making the changes. I mean, I see that too. Even with the the trackers or like any of the HIV stuff, you look at it and you're like, oh, I got a bad night of sleep. And like, you don't change anything. (laughs) Like if you don't change any of your actions, all the tracking in the world is not going to make you (laughs) better here. I know. And like with HRV too, it's not like the current algorithms on almost all the wearables are not appropriate for women because the HRV changes after ovulation. We have a change in our autonomic nervous system. So regardless of what you do, especially about the week before your period starts, you're never going to be in the green let's go Mm -hmm. because there's been this change where your respiratory rate is elevated, your resting heart rate is elevated. Um, and your sleep patterns are changed and it's a hormonal and a nervous system thing, but the algorithms are going to read that as being not recovered. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's where I want to throw a wrinkle and see how this works. Hormonal IUDs. I think, you know, a lot more women are getting them, especially with the current political atmosphere in the U S yes. a lot of women really want to make sure that they are you know, the most like under control birth control option possible. And IUDs are pretty easy for that. But with them, you tend to not get a period. So 
how the like do you have a cycle can you still track it with like body temperature how does this work <laughs> what's yeah. happening to us so i'm i'm a fan of athletes using ieds because it's a fit and forget you end up having light bleed or no bleed but you still ovulate about six months after insertion of a marina or progestin only women will start to ovulate mm -hmm. so you can track using basal body temperature over-the-counter ovulation predictor kits so you can dial in your phases with a copper iud um you ovulate all the way through because it doesn't have any hormone to to stop the ovulation mm -hmm. um and I think it was maybe three or four months ago, the who actually put it on the top 200 essential medications. So the IUD is up there. Nice. I know. <laughs> yeah. I have been shouting that one from the rooftops for a lot of years, especially for athletes who travel a lot, right? Like when you think yeah. of the birth control pill and you're like back and forth to Europe and now your time yeah. zones, like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Crazy. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and we don't see any performance perturbations with an IUD because you're still not you're ovulating. Like if we start to see performance perturbations, then we know that it's more red S, low energy availability, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually super interesting. The, the tracking with the basal body temperature. And I feel like I'm going to feel really uncomfortable getting an ovulation kit to check this, but uh, it's going to happen because I would really like to know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I think you also had a recent post that I was really happy to see about you mentioned something to the effect of like any time in our cycles, we can bring our a game. Like, yeah, I know, you know, in roar, even you talk about like optimizing training around your cycles, but talk to me about how cycle aside, like we can still do really well on our yeah. periods here. So I think, I mean, when we're in the high performance space, we understand what performance is and what training is. But when I put that post up, people are like, well, what do you mean by performance? I'm like, okay, let's back up a bit. When we look at training, we know that there are times where we can leverage low hormone and where we need to look at, okay, we need to dial back a little bit because our body's not quite so resilient to stress. So we can manipulate our training. And the idea behind training is to have a greater training stress adapt to it, get fitter. But when we get like say our most important race on the day where we feel flat, right? And we know that we always feel flat on that day. Don't worry, because all the other things that go into performance is gonna supersede that physiological perturbation of the hormones. Meaning that we think about all the training we've put in and how we've adapted to that in our taper. We also have to think about the mental aspect. And this is really important. When we look at the mental aspect of performance and we have a positive mindset and all the mental skills that go into it, this brings your A game. If you are still a little bit like uncertain, you've been tracking, you understand that that's, you know, your flat day. So this is where we put nutrition interventions in to help and level the playing field because there's never a negative point in the cycle to perform well. Even women are like, oh, I have cramps and I feel awful in the first two days of my cycle. Okay, well, we know this. So let's look at how we can mitigate that inflammation response, how we can improve the, the power and the central nervous system fatigue so that it doesn't affect your, your, your race. And I get so many emails around the time of Kona of women are like, my period's gonna start on race day. I'm like, fantastic. And they're like, no, no, I have really bad cramping. It's like, okay, well, we'll do this, 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 try this, 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 this. And then they have one of the best races of their life, right? So, I love yes. 
Okay. So what are a couple of the, this, this, and this that people this, can, this, and this. can try? It's, yeah. It's um kind of individual, but say you feel super flat and you're like, okay, well, I have to do my A race on day 24 and my period is 30 days or my cycle is 30 days. And on day 24, I always feel flat. Well, we know that's a high hormone phase. We know that you're right in the middle of a high inflammatory um, process. We know that estrogen is higher crossing blood brain barrier. So we have to unpack it a bit and be like, okay, well, we need to increase the amount of carbohydrate that you're eating throughout that week because our body doesn't store glycogen and we don't really tap into it that much. So what we need to do is we need to make more carbohydrate available so that we have uh, available blood sugar. And we need to make sure that you're eating during your race to keep that blood sugar up so that we can keep tapping into the free fatty acids. The other thing about central nervous system fatigue and the fact that you're a woman is you're also going to be tapping into more amino acids for fuel. And we also know that if we're upskilling the amount of amino acids that are circulating and also helps support what's happening with neurotransmitters and can help dampen central nervous system fatigue. So this is where we put in some branched chain amino acids in your drink. We also know that women will fatigue from a central nervous system point of view rather than a peripheral point of view. So what I mean by that is men will tap out their glycogen and central nervous system fatigue, which is why they fatigue. But women, it's not about the fueling in their muscles. It's about that central nervous system. So we have to look at how are we going to take care of that central nervous system? We do parasympathetic the night before the race so that we make sure we get good sleep or even the three or four days before we're doing the PMS stack. So it's the magnesium, the zinc, the omega-3 fatty acids, the baby aspirin, so that we're dampening the inflammation. And then the day before and the day of the race, we are maximizing that carbohydrate availability and putting some more protein and amino acids in. I love that. And I think even having that protocol and sort of the, the mental gain you get from sort of being like, okay, boom, 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 here's my answer. I think that alone is enough to really help someone kind exactly. of come out of that funk of like, oh, I can't do well because I have my period. It's like, okay, no, here's my toolkit. Yeah. Gonna do, gonna do well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's amazing because when women have the information and they're empowered, you see it all the time. They're like, yeah, bring it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, because I think it, the information about how to train during your cycle really got taken a little out of context. It felt like in the last couple of years where people were just kind of assuming that like, it meant you're bad at other, like, if you're good at yeah. this thing, you're going to be bad at this thing, or like, you're not going to be able to do this at this point. And I think you said it beautifully there a minute ago, like, no, this is just how to actually make it work for you with training, but it's not to say you can't do anything exactly. anytime. Yeah. Exactly. And that was um, part of the scientific community because there are a couple of different voices within the scientific community where there's some who are absolute black and white saying there's no evidence, there's no evidence, there's no evidence. And then there are another couple of voices that are saying, hey, let's look at the wide variety of, of scientific literature that's out there that's looking at immune system, metabolism, performance, um, what's happening from a lived experience. And we can see that you can actually train and leverage things according to how your body's responding to hormones. So that's how that miscommunication got because the people were like, no evidence. They're looking just at that one point in time in performance. And yes, we know that there is no negative thing at one point in time in performance. But if we're looking at how the body responds over a chronic situation of hormone perturbations, we can use that to our advantage. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. 
Now, the other thing I've been thinking about is, is that like menopause, we sort of know performance is gonna, you're probably gonna struggle a little bit during perimenopause, like into like the, the day of menopause. Yeah. Do you think that we can actually like make a comeback after menopause or like coming out of menopause and actually like still be making gains in our like 40s, 50s, 60s? There has not been any research on it, but from anecdotal and case studies, yes, for sure. But we have to impress upon women that we have to get out of the idea of long, slow distance volume is the answer. Say more. (laughs) Because when we look at inherent sex differences and the way the body changes without the hormones, women are already very endurant. We have, uh, like I said, we have a different in the fatigue factor where it's a central nervous system, not a peripheral and central nervous system. We have more of the proteins within our mitochondria for free fatty acid utilization. So we don't have to do the quote metabolic efficiency, fasted training stuff because our bodies are already there. And you'll see this in the population that's coming up in ultra endurance. The age, average age of women who is really gravitating to that is the late 40s, early 50s mm-hmm. and, and beyond. It's because they're falling into that natural state where the body is super endurant. If you want to not be an ultra endurance athlete, or even if you are an ultra endurance athlete and you want to upskill, we have to change that mentality into polarizing our training, putting an emphasis on strength and high intensity. And this is such a mind F for a lot of endurance athletes because they're like, but what about, I need to put my zone two in. It's like, well, actually no, because coaching has not caught up with women's physiology. If you like quote zone two training, what is that? That is like really long, slow stuff to develop aerobic capacity and become endurant. Our body's already there. We are already there. What we lose significantly is power, strength, metabolic control, and our ability to to use carbohydrate well. So we have to look at training to create those adaptive stresses. And this is where my lift heavy shit comes in because you look at all the literature around how estrogen affects the muscle. It's not just muscle protein synthesis. The other thing that estrogen does is it is responsible for how strong the bond is between actin and myosin, which are our key proteins for muscle contraction. We lose estrogen. We don't have a really strong bond. So the actual muscle contraction is not that strong. And the other aspect that estrogen has is when we look at the neural stimulation of a muscle contraction, there's this little gap called the gap junction where we have a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine that jumps that gap to depolarize the muscle, which is what causes us to have a muscle contraction. If we lose estrogen, we don't have as much acetylcholine. So we don't have as much power or signaling for a strong muscle contraction. If we are doing heavy lifting, then it becomes a central nervous system response. We're not responsible or we're not looking to estrogen. We're looking at the central nervous system saying, oh my gosh, this is a really heavy load. I have to put more acetylcholine in there. I have to have a stronger bond with that myosin and actin, and I have to be really on top of it. I have to fire it. So if we're doing heavy lifting, we're bypassing the estrogen needs. So this is that external stimulus that's creating the adaptive response to increase our speed and our, our, our power and our strength. Gotcha. Okay. Two, two kind of follow-ups to that one is, so this is maybe like 
a dumb question. So apologies. But no dumb it, questions. It makes me think, are you better to start lifting heavy shit earlier so you're lifting already as you head through perimenopause and into menopause? Or are you better to pick it up later because then, you know, you'll have kind of a more like shock to the system stimulus. <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> it's going to be a shock to the system regardless. Right. And I do like, you can start it whenever, whenever, right. If you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm already postmenopausal. I'm I've lost the window. Absolutely not. You can start anytime. But when we look at starting premenopausal in our reproductive years, we don't have the tendency for soft tissue injuries and joint inflammation. Because when we get into perimenopause with the change of ratios, we see more soft tissue injuries. We have more joint pain, more overall injuries. This subsides when we get into actual menopause, but it is a changing in the ratios. We have a greater inflammatory, systemic inflammatory response. So we start earlier, we learn how to move better. We can really nail that movement and technique. So then we add load. When we get into perimenopause and we're starting to have all these niggles, your body already knows how to move well. So you might have to drop a load because you're not as confident and your body can't handle that load. And then you can slowly bring it back up. But there's so many different ways to lift heavy. It's not just the three by fives. You have cluster sets, you have drop sets. There's so many different ways to keep stimulating the body. So, I mean... Of course, um, I'm biased because I started lifting in high school and that was not the thing to do. And I used to be like one of two girls in the gym, but now you go and there's so many women in the gym. It's mm -hmm. fantastic. So the short answer is if you start lifting, when you hear this fantastic, regardless of what your age. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and then the other follow-up is how heavy is heavy? Like what, what should we be aspiring to? Yeah, that's also individual and relative, but we want to work to fatigue under a heavy load. So if it's three reps and you're like, I can't do anymore, then that's your heavy. If you're hitting 10 reps and you're like, I can't do anymore, that's still too light because you've done 10. So we want to hit that sweet spot of around six. Gotcha. And it could be, you know, four sets of six and that last six, you're just eking out and you can't quite get the right form. And then you stop at four right? Because we want to work to fatigue under good mechanics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where I'd say a lot of, a lot of women and a lot of cyclists and endurance athletes in general, men and women here, uh, definitely. And I fall into this too, like using weights that are definitely not quite heavy. I'd say right. I'm doing the long, slow distance of weights right now, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah. And people will be like, Oh, I've done some resistance training. And it's like, are your legs really wobbly and you can't imagine getting on a bike right now? No. Well, then you didn't do it heavy enough. Yeah. There's, there's a good metric. Yeah. Would you want yeah. to get on a bike right now? How would that yeah. go? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe spin your legs out. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, talk to me a little bit about bone health as well. Cause I know that starts becoming, I mean, that's an issue for women endurance athletes. Most of our Across lives. Boards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So bone health, we know is one of those critical things. And a lot of women, especially endurance athletes with not eating enough, as well as not doing weight, the like weight bearing stuff, we are low on our bone density. We see this acceleration of loss of bone density, especially late perimenopause and into postmenopause, early postmenopause, because again, estrogen and progesterone both work together in concert with insulin growth, growth factor to create a uh, bone turnover and more bone 
actually being built. So if we're looking again at these two hormones changing and the ratio is changing and we don't have the stimulus to build bone, this is how we start losing it. Coupled with a greater sympathetic drive, a greater catabolic state that we have in perimenopause. So things are being broken down. Mm -hmm. So this again is where we look at an external stress, right? Running, not enough. Strength training can help. Resistance training, heavy resistance training can help. But we need a multi-directional, multi-load. And this is where jump training comes in can be um, jump rope, right? Jump rope works, can be burpees, can be box jumps, it can be plyometrics, but you need to have that multi-directional stress from landing to actually help with that bone mineral density. And it can, it's a very small amount too. You're looking at, at the most three times a week, 10 minutes. So you can use your plyometric kind of jump stuff, jumping lunges and stuff at the end of a weight session or as a warm up. I wouldn't try to do it after a hill session on the bike. I've tried that before. It doesn't work very well. So you can definitely use it as um, we call the potentiation. So if you're doing jumping lunges before you go do hill reps, then you're going to potentiate your core, your glutes, your hamstrings, everything. And you're also getting the jumping that's going to stimulate the bone. Mm -hmm. So there's ways of incorporating it into your existing training. That's not going to be massively overwhelming of, oh, I have to go do this jump session. It's just jumping. I love that, especially honestly, as a trail runner, because the number of rocks that I jump off of, uh, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's pretty high. So yeah, I would probably benefit greatly from getting better at jumping off of things. Yeah, exactly. Everybody and wins. that's, you see a lot of people who are really good at jumping up, but not jumping down. It's the eccentric and the landing and the joints. So if we do counter movement jumps where you step up onto something and then you jump off it and learn how to land with soft knees and you're getting that that force, it really does help significantly, especially for trail running. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. This is like shifting gears slightly, but it's still kind of in the same vein. I have been really thinking a lot about this lately, eating enough versus eating well. I know so many women, especially, and as we get older, who are eating such nutrient dense diets, but I would argue are probably super, super low on the energy availability for their actual like training. How, yes. how do we reconcile the, like the need to eat to fuel the training, but also the need to eat the healthy food that's nutrient dense and like we're supposed to be eating. Yeah. There's so many women who like fill up on salads and lots of fibery things and they're full before they get the actual calories in. Mm -hmm. And this is where we look at, okay, yeah, I'm a huge salad person. Like I love salad, but my salad at night is not just a couple of veggies and some spinach. It's spinach, it's beans, it's nuts, it's tempeh, it's fruit, it's seeds. It's like super dense, not only from a calorie standpoint, but also a nutrient standpoint. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at, at women and being like, okay, well, we just need to look at how are we going to add more um, calorie dense don't freak out about calories, people. Calories are good. No bad. <clears throat> and, you know, small things like toast with butter on it. Super yummy, super good for you. And we need it. And then what we want to do is we want to, to fuel for what we are doing. So if we're looking at fueling in and around training, this is where we have less of the fibery foods and more of the calorie dense foods. Mm -hmm. I have some women who are like, but I love cocoa puffs. I'm like, 
Great. Have them after training with some protein powder and some almond milk. And then you have your quick hit of carbohydrates and protein and your great cereal hit. I don't mm -hmm. recommend it to everyone, but for some people who have like the cereal habits and cereal milk, way to go right after training is perfect. If you are in fact cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Exactly. Because <laughs> that's when your body's going to really want that quick hit of carbohydrate, even though it is processed. Yes, I know, but mm. you know, there are things. Um, so it's really looking at how are we going to get that calorie stuff in? It's in and around training. Mm -hmm. And then we look at quote eating clean, but increasing the amount of calories that are in those salads and not being afraid of avocados and butter and nut butter and seeds, because if you're always training, your body needs those calories. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good maybe note as we're hitting the, the holiday season and like, let's be honest, no matter how many years I tell myself, like, you're not going to read any of these like healthy for the holidays things. I always oh. end up. <laughs> Oh, it's the bane. I hate those articles that are like, you ate three cookies. You have to walk on the treadmill for an hour and a half. It's like, yes. no, that is not like you cannot equate calories in a cookie to exercise and burning calories. It's not calories in calories out people. It's eat the damn cookie and don't have guilt. Yeah. I feel like the guilt is really where the, the bad stuff comes in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perpetuated yeah. by media, mm -hmm. right? Perpetuated by bad media, I should say. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. We've talked, I mean, I've been talking to you for probably 12 years, I think at this point about research on <laughs> the women's women in sport. How do you, has it gotten better? Are we finally like getting more research done on, on women in sport? Like what's our yeah. status? <laughs> we are the so we're in this little um, interesting part where now people are like, okay, we got to do research on women. We got to push it out. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's high quality because we'll see people Ooh. who are pushing out research that's been done in like three or four weeks. And that's not an optimal design. So we have to be very cognizant of what's high quality and what we can then build upon versus people just throwing it out and saying, Hey, we did this on female athletes because I'm seeing a lot of papers come through where I'm like, this is not adequate design. There was one I was reading where they're talking about the luteal phase, but they didn't have any naturally cycling women. They are all on oral contraceptive pill and they tested in the third week of the active pill and called it the luteal phase. I'm like, no, that is not right. So we're in this weird spot now where yes, we're seeing a lot of uptake and a lot of push out of of research on female athletes, which is fantastic. But we are also very cognizant that not all of it is high quality. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely going to be something to look out for as companies realize that there's like a lot of potential money to be made in this uh, in this sphere. So definitely, yeah, like, how, and how can someone, I guess, like, what are some of the ways we can kind of like be on the lookout for this? I guess like if we see a company being like, we tested, you know, X, Y, Z thing. Um, yeah. Um, so it's hard, right? What? Ooh, I know. So on the back burner, we're Catherine Ackerman out of Boston is working to create a female athlete research center mm. um, that's bigger than just what she's doing through the hospital in conjunction with the Wusai Alliance, which is a combination of lots of different universities. And what the vision is for that, and I'm hoping to help her, is that if a company wants to do research on female athletes, they come and contract 
us at the Female Athlete Research Center, because it's not just us doing research, but it's everyone who has a conversation about how to do female athlete research, like Kirstie Elliott Sale, Claire Minahan, me, Yance Young, all the names in research are all collaboration here. So you have a research or you want to investigate something, then you bring it there and you know that it's going to be done. That's the vision. It's not quite there yet. So in the interim, if someone has something really trendy and is like, hey, look at this great, fantastic thing, try to find the original research and see what the methodology is. We want to look and make sure that if they're claiming it and it's on naturally cycling women, then they're all tested in the same phase. There's not a mix of oral contraceptive pill, IUD, and naturally cycling women. You just have to look at the hormone profile. That's the first and foremost thing. Look at the hormone profile. And if it seems questionable, then be like, let's wait till we see better or something else is going to substantiate this claim. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and then actually the last couple of things I wanted to ask you about are, are there any just terrible fads out there right now that are just making you cringe? I think, you know, the last time we talked the, the like fasted training and like the super long fasted training was super trendy. Uh, is there anything like that happening right now that you're just like, go away. Yeah, yeah, that's still it. (laughs) (laughs) That's still the thing. (laughs) But what's really interesting is um, now research is catching up. And I'm like, fantastic. Now there's even more research to substantiate this. There was a research um, study that was published in October that was looking at people who are bookending, like they eat the amount of calories they need to, but they eat between like 12 and 7 PM where they're bookending their calories towards the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It causes a complete shift in our metabolic hormones, which makes us burn less calories during activity mm-hmm. and stimulates us to store more fat, which is a contributor to all these negative body composition changes. Right. And if you think Great. about what, what fasting is, most people will delay their eating window till about noon mm-hmm. and then they won't eat after dinner and they're like oh yeah i'm fasting but it changes metabolic hormones especially Amazing. in women and so there's a lot of research coming out about women and fasting mm-hmm. still showing how bad it is for general health and then i won't even get into all the nuances about fasted training because we know that it perpetuates things like low energy availability menstrual cycle dysfunction endocrine dysfunction so many of those things i love that we just rebranded skipping breakfast right like it was like skipping breakfast was bad but now we're just going to rebrand it and it's going to be like very healthy and very cool like no why would that be a thing it's not well, what we're seeing also is the confusion between what's time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting, mm. where everyone's putting in an intermittent fasting. If we look at time-restricted eating, and this is just rebranding of normal eating, you eat breakfast, then you don't eat after dinner, right? And you eat during the day when your body needs it. And we're working with their circadian rhythm. Like that is what we want to do. So we call it time-restricted eating because you're not eating after dinner. Like you're not having late night snacks. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but people are like, what? No, that's intermittent fasting. No, it's time restricted eating, meaning that you're restricting when you're eating to a normal window and you're not having calorie restriction. You're just eating normally, but people think that's boring. So we had to have a trendy word. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, the only times I will ever like 
fasted train we'll say is only because like I have friends that run at 6 a.m and I'm frankly not getting up at 4 30 to eat breakfast and my GI system will not allow for me to eat before that run it's not going to be a good situation so I'll do the run and let me tell you those days I feel like crap I get nothing done and I'm starving all day yep so (laughs) have you done have you done a, a protein fortified coffee for those runs That'll work as long as I know where the porta potties are on the route. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you can ditch the coffee and just have protein fortified mm-hmm. almond milk or something like that. I mean, I personally prefer just skipping the runs and sleeping in and running at a reasonable time. Yeah, that tends to I be my, my go-to. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, ex- exactly. And I, I have done that. If I know it's going to be like a longer run, then yeah, I'll have a protein thing and I'll bring food with me and it's fine. Yeah. But yeah but for the most part you're right you do fasted training you feel awful you get shaky you're hungry all day no i'm useless yeah Yeah. i'm just like oh that was my work for the day i'm done like (laughs) my brain is my brain is done and i think i you kind of said this before like i guess like women with the the central nervous system i think we also need to just be more aware of like how exercise affects us brain wise as well because i know a lot of women that try to cram in so much with training and work and like I know yeah. if I do if I do my Wednesday workout in the morning, I am wrecked Wednesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was complaining yesterday to my husband, I'm like, I'm so tired all the time. And he's like, it's because you're getting up and you're swimming every morning. I was like, but I need that peace. And he's like, but you also need sleep. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> that. Uh, <nothing. laughs> How do I fit it in? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and is there any, uh, last thing is any, any research coming out that you're super excited about or any fads or like trendy things that you're like, Oh, thank God. That's finally trendy again. Yeah. Eating is trendy. People talking mm-hmm. about eating protein, carbohydrate. I love that. People seem um, psyched. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're seeing, um, more and more research coming out about, um, strength based on your menstrual cycle and including rehabilitation, which is fantastic. Um, high quality research and yeah, so not anything new per se, but just really excited to see that more and more really solid, robust research is coming out to solidify a lot of the things that have been kind of circulating. Excellent. Awesome. All right. Before we go, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find level up or next level, uh, where they can find all of the courses. If there's any courses you're particularly excited about, tell us everything. Um, the website, of course, drstacysims.com and the doctor's DR, S-T-A-C-Y-S-I-M-S. Uh, so that get, kind of gives you the overview. You can go and find Next Level there. You can also find Next Level at um, smaller bookshops. So if you can support your local um, mom and pop shop, that would be fantastic. All of our small courses are micro learning. So this is like the deep dive into protein and protein supplementation, because my goal is for someone to take this course and then be able to go to a grocery store, pick up protein, read the label and be like, yeah, that's good or not good. So it's that kind of education, but everything's 50% off. So you can go and put in um, the Christmas 50 as a quote bro code and get 50% off all of the micro learns. So there's a whole bunch of things. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So if anything on here uh, in this podcast sounded interesting, there's probably a micro course on that. (laughs) There is. Yes, for sure. 
Awesome. Stacey, thank you so much. It was, as always, a pleasure catching up with you. Hopefully we'll be in the same hemisphere one of these days and uh, Hopefully, get, to do, yes. get to do it in real life thing. I think last time I saw you, it was like Interbike at like back in like 2012 or something. Something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Sadness. Sadness. It's been a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah it has been. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk soon. Cool. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.